I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Tom Bettis with you. We're taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions at 57500. Let's go back to our phone lines. Suzanne is in Murray. Good morning, Suzanne. What is your question? Good morning. Yes, I'm particularly fond of blue in the garden, and so I use a lot of the blue salvia. I have cut that back for the season. Um, I had massive mildew on um, the upper plants, but the rosettes at the base of the plant are also covered with mildew. Do I do anything about that now? Not really. I mean, you could try spraying with something like neem oil just to see if you could knock out the spores. But when did the salvias get the mildew? Was it September, October? Um, yes. Uh-huh. I'm not as concerned. Throw away all the trimmings that you cut off of them and then rake anything up around them and put organic matter if you want to, like leaves okay. or something that don't have powdery mildew. Because... There is a possibility of it coming back from the old plant material you cut out if you don't clean it up. But it's also airborne, and so it can just come right back in in the summer. But if it was late enough in the season, they're probably not really harmed. And what you can do maybe this coming August, are they a variety that bloom through September, or they just bloom more in the spring? No, they bloom all season long. Okay. What you might need to do is carefully try to avoid spraying the flowers, but if you could use something like neem oil or like triple action or something, neem oil would be fine to use it as a preventative through August into September. You may even delay by a couple of weeks the mildew so that it's even less of a concern. Now, if those had powdery mildew in May and June, I would be very concerned. Okay. All right. Um, is it too late to fertilize my lawn or do I do, no, wait till spring? get it done. And I see things in the shops like worm castings and humates and all of that. Do you, they're expensive. Are they necessary? No, they're not. It doesn't mean they won't benefit, but they're not necessary. For me, especially on a budget, if I need to amend my soil, the first thing I'm turning to are free things like grass clippings and leaves that I've chopped up in my mower. The yes. next thing I'm going to do is hit the garden centers because things are on clearance right now, especially like Home Depot, Lowe's, the box chains, Walmart, and see if they have discounted or clearanced compost. If that doesn't work out, then I just find the cheapest compost I can find from a reliable source. And so for this, like so those worm castings for smaller areas, it can be a little more economical if you just have a small three-by-three-foot raised bed or something. But the benefit doesn't outweigh the cost, in my opinion. And I just find the least expensive compost I can and use that because okay. it will give you 95% of the benefit. All right. 
Oh, I appreciate your help. Thank you for the show. Suzanne, thank you so much for your call this morning, and thanks for listening. Next listener, Ton, says, half the trees in their yard haven't lost their leaves. They have linden fruit trees, flowering pear, and they're looking in town in Honeyville, and most of their trees haven't lost their leaves. They're just... A concern. They want to know, does this mean that all these trees have died? No, it's just was too warm and then it got too cold. And the trees require a two or three week process to slowly cause those leaves to actually drop. And it was just, we went from warm to cold too quickly for it to happen. And we're just going to have to hope for the best. Next listener says they want to grow tomatoes inside this winter. They have full-spectrum LED grow lights. Uh, what light intensity and temperature would be appropriate? And also, would a diluted hydrogen peroxide spray prevent fungal infections? They say this isn't a Jerry Baker technique. Oh, it's probably his brother. No, I'm just kidding. Stop. Um, the uh, temperature between 55 and 75 are fine for tomatoes to produce. And you just want those lights about six inches above the tops of the plants. And within reason, the more intensity, the better. But, you know, I, Mike, Karen, and I have talked about putting together a video on using inexpensive shop lights. You can pick up, like, those fluorescent bulb, um, I don't even know what they're called, ballast things, mm-hmm. you know, the long ones you'd mount above a cabinet or in your shop. Sure. And they cost 15, 16 bucks from a hardware store. And you can go buy $10 in two by fours and make something very suitable for growing plants under for very little money. And so in those, the T8 lights are great. They, they just go six inches above the plants. Now the hydrogen peroxide in this, I'm giving this a fair assessment and I'm not trying to be snarky or anything. If it kills anything, it will kill it in the first couple minutes and then it is broken down and loses its effectiveness. And so, you know, as a preventative, I think that making sure that the tomatoes are not overwatered and you're only watering for at the base or in the pots or containers is going to be a lot more important for preventing funguses than, say, spraying with hydrogen peroxide. You know, there are a few indoor kind of organic preventative fungicides. Some of them contain like baking powder in them. Some of them are like neem oil that you can purchase. But I think that if you, I mean, our humidity is down below 10% in the winter. And as long as they're not getting the foliage too wet and the tomatoes have enough spacing, they shouldn't have any problem with fungal diseases on the leaves. All right, next texter says, is it too late to apply copper spray for Corinium blight on peaches? And does it help to apply it again during the winter before rains as the container specifies? Well, the Corinium, I believe, I'd have to look at the fact sheets that it can actively infect tissue at temperatures around 39, mm-hmm. 38, 39, 40 degrees. And so during the day, if we are above those temperatures, then it can still spread. But if we're colder than that, and I would encourage them to look up Utah State University's Corinium blight fact sheet, but it's probably getting a little late. But with the leaves still on there, it's not going to harm anything. And the next critical time to do a spray would be at the delayed dormant stage. All right. Next person wants to know, is now or spring better to transplant perennials? Depends on the perennials. And we had a conversation with JD a couple of weeks ago about when to transplant. But if it blooms in the fall or late summer, divide it in the spring. 
so it has all summer to grow, and if it blooms in the spring, divide it in the fall. Now, those are some general rules. You can divide at either time. It's just that the flowering may be delayed by a year or so if you don't follow those rules. Okay, next listener says two years ago their neighbor and he or she both planted burning bush plants three feet apart using different landscapers, so they may be different varieties. But both of the years, uh, theirs didn't turn red, but the neighbors did. They straddle the property lines, so they both have the same soil and sunlight. Uh, They're wondering if they need to treat theirs with something. Burning bush envy. (laughs) Don't tell me that's your answer. Um, No, fertilize them with triple 16 in the spring. Okay. Use a teaspoon or depending on the size of the plants, if they're small, a teaspoon's fine. If they're bigger, a couple tablespoons sprout out under the canopy of the bushes. Do it again in May and maybe that will improve things. Okay. Might just be not getting enough of that. Yeah, it could be nutrient deficiencies. Um, Burning bush are just a little bit fickle and I, they're beautiful and I get it. I, it's just that that's, this is what they do sometimes. We're going to come back with Robert in Stansbury Park after we take this break. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Text us at 57500. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Good morning. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you this morning. Number to call 801-575-8255. Text us at 57500. Robert is in Stansbury Park. And good morning, Robert. What is your question this morning? Well, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a couple of Bartlett pears and they have, uh, they developed like spots on the leaves and the branches in, where the leaves turn by, or kind of turn dark in color. And I think that's some kind of disease, I believe. And I was just wondering, is there anything we could do either now or in the spring to uh, help that out? Were you seeing that the branches were dying from the tips back in toward the tree? Yes. Okay, that would be fire blight, and those need to be pruned out. Okay. So you prune six inches to a foot beyond where you see damage. Okay. And after every pruning cut, you get some rubbing alcohol in like a spray bottle and mm-hmm. spray your your the tips of your pruners, the blade portion, so that you don't spread it to another limb. Because okay. if, if that makes it into the trunk, the trees are dead. Okay. So those need to be pruned out. I would do it today. Okay. And then in the spring, download Utah State University's fact sheet on fire blight. You can download okay. it for free. 
and it'll give you some recommendations for some preventative sprays. And it flies in the face of what we usually say about never spraying when the trees are in bloom. Mm -hmm. But you actually spray when the trees are in bloom because you're spraying an antibiotic that gets onto the flowers that hopefully prevents most infection. And so what will happen if you have a high fire blight load using these sprays will reduce infections by hopefully 50 to 70 percent and then you can watch now that you know what to look for and just prune out the remaining infections but that's the about the only thing you can do as a homeowner to prevent that on the pears okay so we spray when the trees are in bloom yes and you will watch those and i would subscribe to the usu pest lab updates they're free Mm -hmm. but there's a fruit update and it will tell you down to the day um, when to spray, of course, when you're in bloom, but also the danger of infection from fire blight, because what we don't want is warm weather and rain. And so if you see, see that you'll have to spray after every rain event so that you can keep that up until the blossoms drop. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks Robert for listening. Uh, next listener, Ton, uh, we had uh, we were talking about raised beds at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, and we have a couple of questions that came in from folks. Uh, the first one is, this person says they have a hardscape garden area. Is it okay to put a wooden raised bed on top of road base or gravel? Absolutely. It's fine. Okay. So then would they line the raised bed with the landscape weed barrier? They could. They want some drainage in there, and so in this situation... They may actually put down an inch or two of gravel or some sort of crushed stone, mm-hmm. just the least expensive stuff they can find. And then on top of that, some weed fabric, just so that there's some drainage from the bed onto the cement. And then they are going to want to see if, and I don't know if it's possible, but in that water drains out the bottom, they need to have it sloped away from where they want to be if it matters. But absolutely, you can put raised beds on top of cement. Just make sure they're at least a foot deep. Okay, next person says, would adding shredded brown cardboard or mowed grass and the like add anything to either a traditional or a raised bed? Unlimited amounts. It'll break down. I mean, that is made from wood, and it takes a long time for microorganisms to break down. And so what I would rather see them do is make a compost pile with the shredded cardboard and other things in there with, say, grass clippings and let it compost first and then incorporate it in. Uh, Next listener is listening in the Cache Valley area. They'd like to plant some autumn brilliant shrubs. First of all, they want to know how late can they do that and also what are the watering guidelines before the winter sets in? Your soil should be plenty wet already. But they can do it now. Yes, and as long as you can dig, you can plant. And I would just get maybe a half gallon or a gallon of water and pour it on top of the root ball. But otherwise, I last I looked, Logan had six inches or a foot of snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. So there should be plenty of moisture that they won't need to worry about watering. Our next listener says their lavender flowered a second time after cutting them back in August. Now they just have the seed pods on the green park. Can they cut them back like their other perennials, or are they closer to shrubs than, and should be left alone? Not as hard. They can cut those seed heads off and give them a light haircut, but otherwise just leave them alone. Okay. Next couple of questions are on pruning. First one, where can they find a list of pruning specialists? Well, folks, am I going to have to get on my high horse again? And <laughs> you really shouldn't my be pruning soapbox. at all. 
So pruning, they're arborists will prune. And they may even prune now because of their schedules, but it's not the ideal time. Especially if you're doing fruit trees, you need to wait for spring. But I had a conversation with a couple of arborists on why there aren't a lot of businesses that prune fruit trees. Mm-hmm. And they it was they rolled their eyes at me, just like a cashier hearing, oh, it must be free for the 130th time in that day mm-hmm. when there's a problem. They just don't like doing it because, one, your fruit trees probably haven't been pruned correctly and it's going to be hard to fix them. They only make about 25 or 30 bucks an hour, which may not cover their costs of sending an employee in, and then they've got to clean it up. And it's just, they said there's just a, and because you've got such a short window that all these fruit trees need to be pruned, you can only get to so many people. And then if you're really doing the math and you look at the fruit you get off of those trees as compared to what you've just paid them, if you have 10 or 12 trees, it may cost you $400, $500. Are you getting that much fruit off of those trees to even break even? And so it's hard to find fruit tree pruning specialists, especially because of just there's not a lot of money in it. But any good arborist company will be able to prune through the winter. Okay. Uh, next person wants to discuss pruning roses this time of year. Don't. Don't do it. So the only branches I prune out of my roses, if I've got a hybrid tea and some of the branches have grown you know, six or seven feet tall because I didn't trim them out, I cut those out, but I only cut maybe 5 to 10% of the branches out, and I leave it for mid-March. Okay. Even on the bush roses or the shrub roses, if they only bloom one time in the spring, you prune them after they're done blooming. If they're ever blooming bush roses, then you can just give them a haircut in mid-March. All right. About to take a break, but this person says they're in Eagle Mountain. Is it too late to put fall fertilizer down? Nope. Get it done. Okay, we're going to come back with more on the KSL Greenhouse Show. When we do come back following the top of the hour news, we're going to talk about preparing your motorized lawn equipment for winter storage. So stay with us. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.